0: I was pleased to see you smile at
1: the top of our show, because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore.
2: Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers fell in San Antonio yesterday. LeBron was a scratch from that due to some swelling in his knee, and... I suppose I don't have terribly high expectations for what a team of Russell Westbrook and almost entirely vet minimum players, aside from THT, is capable of. Um, And so I thought that they competed relatively well relative to their available talent level. They just don't quite have the guys at that point. Mike, you were there. Talk to us about what you saw in that game and just what the status is on LeBron's knee.
3: Well, LeBron's knee, when it first happened, and this was after the Brooklyn game, at the end of january and we found out about it when he was out on the court in philly i assumed this was going to happen more than it has i assumed that his knee was going to get sore to the extent that it was going to need treatment and part of that was because of the swelling as opposed to just sort of the if we would have heard tendonitis or something like that right where you know that's something that that many players sort of dealt with but the swelling part of it i thought was a little bit more informative that this was going to be something he had to manage and and Therefore, I think you combine, you know, what he did last game plus the flight and and just whatever and you know, even though we didn't find out until later, that was the source of my being not surprised. And I I did. So when I got to the arena in San Antonio, LeBron was out there and he doesn't often go out and shoot before the game. It's usually if he's going to kind of test something out. So that raised my my eyebrow went up a second when I saw him out there and then you know, you kind of see him talking to the training staff and to his trainer, Mike Mencius, who's great. And thus, right, no surprise that he was out. I do think that Frank Vogel tried to clarify that they're they're hopeful, at least, that this is different from, you know, the first time that it got sore after whatever – if something happened in the Brooklyn game or or, or however that it originally happened – And Frank seemed to think it was not that as much as just the combination of the recent games plus the flight and so on. And so there is still that hope that he can come back and play in Houston. And so if he misses a game here or there, but then is back for the next one, I think that's a lot different from before where he missed five games and the Lakers went one and four in such contests. But at the same time, Darius, once I I learned that he was out and considering that we know Anthony Davis is out – it's the defensive side to go back to one of our other conversations that is so difficult because of what the personnel is and Taylor Horton Tucker having to start at the four and then off the bench, your four or five combo being Mello and Stanley Johnson. Like they just are so small and at those interior positions and not athletic that any team is difficult to handle. Yep. including a San antonio team that is banged up, and I most of my post game questions revolved around that hey, how do you kind of figure out how to play defense when you're this small and it's a lot of it's a lot of home oh, man it's tough you know you got a lot of scrambling a lot of everybody's got to hit the glass, you know, and it's just it couldn't be a further departure from you know from what the team's been the last couple of years so that that part of it is is tough to handle, but there there does remain this I don't even want to say optimism because of what the interests have been this year, but that that LeBron can hopefully play next game. And if not, then, you know, it's still it's not going to be this lengthy absence like it was before.
1: Well, Mike, I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit more because the aspect of size and what the team had was obviously present from the TV view. But, you know, we got some nice screenshots of you on Twitter lurking right Mm -hmm. behind the basket. And so you were standing very <laughs> close to the action and and the paint especially. And that view offers a vantage point that I think a lot of fans will never get access to, A, because those seats are super expensive, and B, that's not a camera angle that you get from the NBA very often. and. So I'd love to just get like just a little bit more from you on what that perspective looked like considering the Lakers were so small and sort of how the battle in the trenches looked from your view when they were playing the types of lineups that they were playing against a Spurs team that wasn't necessarily super physical, but they did have a couple of like mashers in there that were just like, yeah, I'm gonna go after it a little bit. And did it seem like the struggles were like just super evident to you or did it look like they were hanging? Like, I'm sorry. Like I just wanted to get a little bit more perspective from you because I know that you move around in different arenas and this looked like a, a certain perspective that you may not even always get.
3: Yeah. This is a unique media seat. It's, they put a little chair literally behind the basket. So it's there's the basket stanchion and then there's a little chair and I'm so I'm staring right at the basket. Now you can still see most of the court from there, but basically, I'm you guys will see I'm like moving my head to to the right when they're, yes. they're on that set, and then I'm moving it around. And eventually, I started just standing up because I it's kind of and I look I'm kind of looking behind me to see if the ushers are saying it's okay that I stay in that lane. And I just had to be so it was fine. So that, yes, that's what I was doing. So I, I did get several, including my mom, who was very excited. It's like, mom, you could just watch. The league pass and see me on there talking and it's like no she likes to see me on camera when the game is going on for some reason that's like a bigger deal to her so it's very exciting very exciting to see me standing uh doing nothing but <laughs> you know i <laughs> it's just dumb but uh it's great hey look
1: man you're on tv believe me like okay. if, if if i was on tv and OK, the sideline interviews are one thing, but when you're sort of like lurking in the middle of the action to a certain extent, I get it. That's even more exciting. It's wow. like, oh, look, there's THT with a backhand layup. And then, oh, he fell in the Mike's lap. Look, there's Mike <laughs> right there. Right. It's I like was, there's a certain amount of that.
3: I was having an internal conversation about what size of the player would be if he came hurtling over what I try to catch or just get out of the way. <laughs> You know, yeah, what's your
2: what's your uh, what's your uh, threshold threshold? It's like
3: it's like Monk or Augustine. I got you. You know, I'm here (laughs) for you. I'm going to catch you. Austin. uh, Austin's a little bigger than you think. You know, Austin's a little bigger than you think. But I think I would brave it for that. Um, T.H.T. No, too solid. You know, Russ. No, too fast. Slash solid. Stanley definitely getting out of the way. You know, Uh, and then Dwight is just a complete non. Yeah, that's just an ole. For that one, so, I like
2: how our roster is so small that like yeah. Mike's like with a third of it, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah, think I'll be- brave it.
1: <laughs> I, I think I'll brave it with, with yeah. a third of an NBA roster. Mike's is like, I'll stand in there.
3: Yeah, Judge. Yeah. For, yeah. For sure. So anyway, that's um the point of all of this. And I think what to answer Darius's actual question was that the size is that much more obvious, but it's not. You know, it's. I said the same thing before the game started, right? And before I was standing there, it's just the – it's one, it's Purtle for one, and I think that was where I give Popovich some credit on this one, where in the fourth quarter, I think he especially was just like – even even without – even with DeJounte Murray going off and going 12 for 20 compared to Monks 8 for 22, which I think was a pretty big difference in the game, he, he created some possessions where by which swing the ball around until they have to come off Purtle And then just lob it over the top like that. That's what we're doing. It's really easy. This team is tiny. They're not going to be able to get that done. And and that you could just see Pirtle did not have to work that hard to be able to establish that kind of position. And it was just that the Spurs had been going away from it for a while, you know, because that's what they're playing basketball. Sometimes you don't just keep doing the same thing every time in your pickup run. But if if there's somebody out there saying, go do that same thing every time, then you sort of seem to eventually get it. And it also happened with some of the drives, like from Murray, where he was he was able to get to the spots that he wanted to get to. But and here's to Pete's original point, though, I thought the Lakers competed really well. I thought they scrapped. I I didn't think they just gave these things up. And I thought they had the guards came down to help. And, you know, Dwight just Dwight just physically isn't moving that well right now. He tried, Mm -hmm. you know, but he's just not he's just not moving his body that well. And I actually thought Mello was really good uh, on a lot of defensive possessions. Um, whether it was helping or coming over to swat at the ball and, you know, just battling basically from, from that five spot and not just trying to bail out guys. So I, yeah, I, this was not one of those Pete that I walked away from like, Oh, this is what, this is one they should have had. You know, they, I can't believe they didn't do the X, Y, or Z. It was just sort of a, um, an understanding of why the game happened, why it did.
2: Yeah. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, uh want to talk about the importance of that.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: I think games like this are important from uh, just holding on to the thread and maintaining the continuity that you've uh Established in, in previous games. And for example, the post entries into Pertle late in the game that we had difficulty stopping that two things. That is part of the reason why, you know, Vogel, whenever we play those big, solid bigs, he prefers to go bigger against those guys in part due to that problem. Now that's more of an intermediate small ball problem in that you're supposed to ball pressure the guard front and then have you a weak side, you know, flying in. And that's how you guard, how small ball teams defend those post entries. And we haven't played small with the switching type of style for long enough to get good at that. And we don't have enough forwards or just people like six, eight and above normally. And then our, when we're missing LeBron and AD, it becomes just a math problem D, right? Where you're not going to be good at it there. And there were some offensive rebounds that we gave up where it was like, Both guys on the Lakers are doing their job. They're sandwich rebounding him. They're both jumping at the same time. But the big man they're trying to box out, whether it was Pertle or Landale, or their elevator goes to a different floor than those guys do out of a standing position. And those are the types of battles. I'm you're gonna lose those. I'm fine with losing those with the the type of personnel that we had. But in terms of like kind of holding on to something we can build off of, I don't think we let go of the rope in this game.
1: No, they didn't quit. They play to their style and they play to their ability. And there, I would say that their ability on that night. And that's where, for all the talk about, like, I've been frustrated, Mike accuse me of being Swiss and, and being more diplomatic on the pod
3: than I am in the text thread. Only when Pete and I are starting to get it. Yeah. Not with not with basketball stuff or player. You always say what you think, but you know, that's all you say slide in a little bit Yeah. With me yeah.
2: He's like, actually I'm right in the middle of Mike and Pete, just magically every time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm popping up like that Lance Stevenson gif, right? Where he that's gets right. sort of <laughs> like, like oh well hey, there I am. Yeah. There he is. yeah. Um but For all the frustrations that I think I've had, and I'll speak for myself here and not for anyone else about the sort of relative talent level that the Lakers have, and this idea that on some nights they just stink, the they stink element a lot of times comes from dudes playing below their level or playing too many guys who maybe aren't good enough to actually play extended stretches or even a shift and a game. I've been frustrated, for example, with like Past Trevor Ariza shifts or past DeAndre Jordan shifts and some nights even Dwight shifts where he's moving especially poorly and teams are targeting him in ways where it's just like, well, you have him out here specifically for this and they are targeting him in that. And so now I am frustrated that he is playing because the thing that he's supposed to be good at, they're saying not only are you not good at that, you were bad at it and Mm -hmm. we're going to now try to make you do it. Mm -hmm. It's like I'm left handed. If someone told me to drive to my left, I'd be like, thanks. I'm going to do it every single time. But if someone is so good defensively that they're just like, Psh, go left all you want. You getting shut down regardless. And because that's the only thing that you can do, I'm going to make you do that. You're going to fail and then we're going to take advantage of all of that.
2: Anthony Davis does this all the time, just a quick interjection in terms of like a defensive player that's way better than an offensive player. He'll actually send guys to where they want to go, knowing that he can shut that off. And then their counter is what they're weak at. So this is, that's a great example and a, a fun
1: part of basketball. So I've been frustrated a bunch. And you guys have heard the brunt of my frustrations. Last night, I thought that the Lakers had several guys who played hard. They played well, and they showed what their limitations were. And so one of the things I was telling you guys last night was, man, it's rough watching Stanley play pick and roll game, get into the creases of the defense, get a dump off pass or get a pocket pass, and then not be able to do anything in the intermediate part of the, like in between the rim and like around the charge circle area and sort of be like, yeah, well, I'm looking to pass. Right. Because he tried to go at Collins at one point and he tried to bump him off and turn and shoot a fadeaway. And Collins said, Whatever, man. You six seven. I'm six ten, six, six, eleven. And I'm just blocking that. Right. And so you saw the limitations in Stanley's game. You saw the limitations in Monk's game when he took on more usage. And you saw the limitations in THT's game, even though I thought that he played well, in that he still doesn't have that in-between part of his game where it's just like, okay, it's either a step back three or he's really hunting the rim. And 95% of the time, it's he's, he's hunting the rim. And defenses then start to know your tendencies. They start to take things away. And then you don't play as well and you don't finish as well. And so the competitive spirit of the team, I thought, was high. And in showing that competitive spirit, I thought that they revealed where weaknesses get mm-hmm. capped yep. and how your ceiling is lower because your talent level is lower, regardless of how well you compete. And so that's what I thought was the difference of the game, and it's what stood out to me most watching.
3: You know, there are there are a few guys on this team that I think have really rounded into some good form um, lately. Reeves certainly stands out, and. Monk had a lot of moments, but I think he was frustrated after just by how many shots that he missed, you know, that were some pretty good looks. And this is where the margin for thing comes back in. You know, when when you get elevated to basically the best score that, uh, that is on your team, that's when it hurts to have the, the, ineffi- the inefficiency uh, that Monk had in that one. And so that was one thing. THT, same kind of thing. Like, he, like Austin, had... Uh, his moments. He was seven for fourteen uh, from the field, and had different pockets where he was getting going. And then Pete, I think you had pointed out Austin only taking eight shots. Now he hit six of them, but that's that's too That's also a tough ask to me to kind of ask Austin to play like he plays and give all that he does on defense, and you know, cut off the ball, and then still find a way for higher usage. You know, so I'm. Sure, there isn't really anything that I'm that I'm. You know, wanting to pick at too much, other than just the general lack of size. And okay, well, maybe can you play? Maybe you play Baysmore and Gabriel instead of Augustine or Bradley. Uh, that's that's sort of the one spot where you wonder. But I don't know. They were in the game, and it it had a. Le- Even though this is the team now, the one team that probably has a chance to push the Lakers out of the ten spot. It's hard to see that happening with what the mm-hmm. Spurs ha- are throwing out there every night. Just given that. There aren't that many teams where San Antonio is going to beat uh, right now. You know, given what their personnel and really what their mission is. You know, they they traded for two first round picks, which mm-hmm. they don't usually do, and that plus their own. You know, they're all, and they're also four games back still in the lost column of the Lakers. The Blazers are going down that way. The Kings lost again. They're the Kings are seven games back in the lost column. So. Really, to me, this season is ultimately right now about whether the Lakers can somehow find a way to hold off the Pelicans, you know, to get home court in the 9-10 game. The Clippers are pretty far away and the Pelicans are sort of surging in the other direction. But this, this game now, to me, has a little bit less of that overall impact other than it would have, you know, it would have given the Lakers a better shot to maintain sure. the 9 instead of the 10.
2: Yeah, I think really that's the only thing in terms of stakes that's on the table, uh, is that nine or ten spot at this point. And in some ways that's a blessing. In some ways that allows a LeBron to be like, No, I can I can take tonight off because it's not going to ultimately make a difference in the standings. And it makes it also makes the ability to hold on to the rope and compete and get better at your style of play and encounter more of the different challenges, right? That post entry into a bigger player, um, to, I, I, I was really hoping that Gabriel would get some run in that game just cause I thought that games like that have value in a let's experiment. Let's try something new type of way. Didn't end up working out that way. And we ended up losing again in that like last three minutes of the first, first five minutes of the second quarter type stretches, same thing in the third and fourth quarter. And that's, going to happen because we don't have enough good players but it's also a place where i think that we can experiment a little bit more but ultimately i think that like it is what it is and ma- being able to maintain what we do is is really important let's take another break when we come back uh, russell westbrook made some comments after the game that we'd like to discuss all right mike you were there what did uh, what did russ have to say in post game
3: russ got a question and it was a result of his his wife had posted something on Twitter and then kind of copied to to IG and Russ talked about it for a while and I thought it was it was you know difficult sitting there listening to it. There were only five of us right in front of Russ and sometimes you have at least a few beat writers or something from the other team, but in this case th- there weren't any San Antonio people and so it was just it's Kyle Goon and Dave McMenamin, um, Bill Oram and Dan Whitey and myself. And so I asked the first question to Russ just about the game. And then he got one more about that. And then uh, I think it was Goon that put the question to him about what his wife had posted and you, I, I won't read the whole thing. Like you guys can go out there and see it. I know a lot of Laker fans have already gone through some of these comments. They've been, they've been all over the place. But for, for me, the thing that hit the most was about his kids, you know, being in school and how proud his son is to of his name, of his name Westbrook, and, and that you know he says it whenever he can, and he loves his dad, right? And and to, he didn't say exactly what happened, but basically they went to pe- the ter- to parent teacher conferences, and the teacher said Noah, he's so proud of his last name, he writes it everywhere, he writes it on everything, he tells everybody, and walks around and says, "I'm Westbrook," and I kind of sat there in shock, and it hit me like, damn, I can no longer allow people. Um, he he pointed russ pointed out the word the phrase west brick and i think this was referring to skip bayless who has been the longtime troll of so many players right uh, including one lebron james and and so i think we all feel the same way about that but it's there, are, there are a couple parts of me on this one one you are go- going to incur a certain amount of criticism as a public figure um and, and everyone knows mm-hmm. that and russ knows that and russ said look if i play horribly if i'm if i'm not hitting any shots if i'm not you know competing if i'm not doing this I get it, say it all. I've had it in my career. But regardless of how it gets there, when you bring the personal elements into it, and I don't think players share this part of it all the time, but just that image of thinking of of some other kid coming in and like calling Russ's kid Westbrook, that sucks. It just sucks to hear that. And it's sad. And, and it's it's also his mom and his wife. And um uh, that part is just uh I think important that for us to think about in context of there are there are worse things going on in the world, but just in this own sports world, you wish that you could insulate somebody's family um, from that. And if you're going to talk smack to a player, it's that same difference. And in, in, uh, there's a line there, too. Right. If you're going to talk crap to a player in a game, don't say stuff about his family. Don't say stuff about his kids. Don't bring them into that. They didn't choose that. And that's the part that I think hit me the most uh, was with the kids. So I know you guys saw all the comments and probably watched it as well. what stood out to you?
1: I think – so everything that you said, Mike, I agree with. And I – so I think I'm looking at this from two levels. The first level is sort of what you were focusing on there, right? And the idea of – and this idea that I go back to a lot, which is um, that these are people first, And that we often don't look at them as people. We often look at them as statistics on a paper or performers playing the game or any other rationale that we use in terms of rooting interest for or against, right? And we're looking at them through that prism of sports. And that often removes the humanity from people. I think humanity, the humanity of sports is one of the things that we crave the most. And it's also one of the things that we remove from the equation the most when we're talking about it. Right. We love the celebrations. We love sort of the tears of joy or anguish or anything else. That's the, the- that's part of the theater of sports. But we never cons- we do not often enough consider the feeling that is behind any of that stuff. Right, we see it as performance, as part of the performance, and it's not. These are these aren't actors conjuring up something in order to put something out there for us. And so, I often think about, I I often reflect on on that aspect whenever we're talking about the game. And, And I think if you've listened to the pod enough or followed my work, that that's something that I try to bring back to the table a lot. The other part of this is. It's reflective to me of the difficulties that this Lakers season has been in general. This goes now beyond Russ. He's obviously a part of this, but in general, I feel like that the idea of the homecoming for Russell Westbrook and like when he's talking about his parents and he's talking about his wife and he's talking about not wanting people to be at the game, this was supposed to be a bit of a celebration. It was supposed to be this idea of like boy comes home and he gets to do the thing that he loves for the team that he loved growing up. And it's not been that. And it's not been that for a variety of reasons. Some of those related to Russ and some of them not related to him at all. And the idea now of like the, the struggles of this team impacting him in ways that go well beyond like, the numbers on on a stat sheet. It, it's that sort of bigger picture thing that I was reflecting on some last night as well. Where are you at with some of this, Pete?
2: Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, my heart goes out to Russ and his family. Like, People don't deserve to go through that type of harassment. And I think this is ultimately a conversation of where does heckling turn to harassment, right? I do think that fans do have the right to express their displeasure with their team or with a player, right? And so it becomes a question of what is acceptable within that now, obviously, like leave the families alone. the families should be off limits and the the death threats that uh that Nina Westbrook was talking about and all that and that's nonsense, and it's something that we really, I think as a fan base need to. Address because it's not the first time and stuff like that has happened, and so if I don't know, I just feel like if you see someone acting like that, you need to step in, say something, speak up right, because it's something that goes that goes beyond the Russell Westbrook experience here, and within that idea of like heckling versus harassment and and what is acceptable, not everyone's line is going to be in the same place, and I thought Russ's comments about his son being so proud of his name. And that being something that kind of moved the line for Russ, but it's not like people weren't saying Westbrook before now. I think Russ's point was that now my son is becoming of the age where he knows what his name means, right? And he's proud of it. And the idea of tarnishing that, I think Russ was saying he wants to defend it in ways that in the past he would have let that slide. So yeah, this all kind of informs why I have always have a heart to try to defend Russ. And part of the reason why I've always felt kind of an urge to defend Russ is that I people come after him with an extra degree of heat that I think is really telling. And just the whole pile on, on that, like, I'm not down with that. I don't like that. And uh, I'm glad that it's a topic of conversation now.
3: What I was trying to convey from being right in front of Russ, when he was talking about how upsetting it was for his family, that's where then your kind of your heart gets tugged on as opposed to what comes back from, from the head, which is like, you know, part of what I think Russ is Russ's point is that like for him the way that there there are certain things that he feels cross the line that you just alluded to Pete and then certain things that don't but for Russ and I have seen this myself I've seen this I've seen him with his kids coming to the facility for a couple different things uh he is so loving and caring like at, for his kids as a dad mm-hmm. and that's become a lot cooler now it, which is amazing. Right. LeBron's had a big part to do that. Kobe had such a, a big part to do with that. And and um, so now when when you see that it's it's so hard, e- whatever the name is, even if it's something that's silly, like great, Skip Bayless. So congratulations. You you replaced a couple letters in Westbrook's right. name like, with a brick on, like it's it's ultimately kind of stupid. Yeah. Once you have the knowledge and now like now we have the knowledge that this is very upsetting to Russ's family and to his kids, you know, That then, to me, changes my own perception. And I'm still learning this myself, but feelings are about how the person that is taking that information in feel, you know, not what you think when you're saying it. And so we know that this, whether it's Westbrook or whatever it is, this type of thing hurts his family. And so that, to me, has to be informative. Can I add here,
1: too, that what complicates things is that Russell Westbrook's a divisive figure and that people generally don't like him? Yeah, that's – I mean, that's ground zero, yes. But we have framed this entire conversation almost through the lens of like his family, which is obviously super important, and his play as a player. Now, I'm not trying to go devil's advocate. I'm not necessarily even trying to present Russell Westbrook as like some negative figure here. A week ago, he's verbally sparring with – in postgame – media sessions with reporters. He is openly angry and defiant in ways that he has a complicated public persona. Like when you talk about public figures, it's one thing if you're a public figure who is basically always being perceived as being on the right side of things and being generally a good person and all of this other stuff and What's complicated this whole discussion, I feel like, is the idea that like, well, yeah, a bunch of people actually don't like you for reasons that go beyond what you are as a basketball player. Now, what you are as a basketball player contributes to that, but... For the same reason that some people revere Russell Westbrook as being like this defiant person who is basically going to throw up a middle finger to the establishment and like, oh, you're trying to press me on this? Well, I'm going to press you right back. There are people Mm -hmm. who love that about him, but there's also a boatload of people who think that looks like, well, you're an a-hole, right? Like you're a jerk, basically. And so – and because you're a jerk, I don't like you. And because I don't like you, the line – that Russell Westbrook is drawing here, they're just like, no, bro, you move that line all the way over here. When you don't get to play both sides, right? Like, there's that perspective that is taking hold here, too. And so it's almost a fascinating discussion based off of like how we treat people, based off of how much we like them. Yep. Which and I the think is like, the doubt. Yes. Which is like, I feel like at the root of almost all interpersonal relationships and human interaction is how much do I like you? How much can I tolerate from you? How much am I willing to give a pass? And it's very interesting to see that framework being applied now in the aftermath of Russell Westbrook's comments, because I'm sort of with you, Pete, within the context of that's not my line to draw. Like, I'm not sure if I would draw the line there, but it's also not me. Like when I was a kid, I did not meet another person with my name. For a long time in my life, you're a Pete, right? Mm -hmm. And Mike's a Mike. Yeah. When you go to (laughs) when you go to the amusement park, they have the little license plate. How many times did you see a Pete or a Mike with the little license plate name? Right. Yeah. I've never too many Darius's. I've never seen a Darius. Right. And so I got made fun of when I was a kid because my name was different, and no one knew another person with with my name and so there were lots of iterations that were made on my name similar to the trolley skip bayless like oh let's change a few letters here let's make it rhyme with this let's do whatever else because we're just being kids and kids are stupid stupid's a hard word but you know what i mean <laughs> for me as like an adult now i'm sort of just like you know like that sort of uh, it's all sort of like uh like okay we can make a big deal of that, but there's so many other things to make a big deal of, like that's not where my line is, but but it's also not me, and so I don't really have the room to say "You're wrong for feeling this way, and that's not how I look at life anyway, right? but but it's it's just an interesting framework for all of this conversation. Sure. For me, I, I've been coming from the perspective where I don't like the pylon. On
2: Russell Westbrook and just that that's just the thing to do at, and that's been the case. And But part of that is that benefit of the doubt that you were talking about. And the benefit of the, the, benefit of the doubt is something that you generally earn. And if you're defiant and you're like, no, I don't want to change. I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to be any different. That is part of the reaction that you inspire when you draw that hard line. That said, I don't, I don't like the pylon in general, and I, that's been something that I've been actively trying to fight against on this podcast throughout this year. Anyway, we've got the Rockets on Wednesday. We'll be back tomorrow. Cover more here on the Laker Film Room podcast.
1: The has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn. double team. Just pass out of front. Broken up by Worthy. Kips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's
0: Magic got it.
3: Magic fires. It's good. That next to the winner. It. It's on the left Kobe no! Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker
0: fans okay, sitting so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed—a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me,
3: Kobe? Hard to believe. Are you kidding
0: me? Unreal. Are you kidding me?
3: Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Freddy pass. And it's back to a three point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell.
0: There's the two, move. Two. Storm? One. Missing. It. It. Bryant. Unbelievable. the it's, it's over. The it's over. Got clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>